0: The Death Star will be completed on schedule. You've done well, Lord Vader. And now I sense you wish to continue your search for young Skywalker. Yes, my master. Patience, my friend. In time, he will see you out. And when he does, you must bring him before me has grown strong. Only together can we turn him to the dark side of the Force. As you wish. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen.
1: (laughs) Welcome. To the Wampas Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Leclerc and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampas Lair. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This is episode number 293, Hello Villains. Hello my villains, hello my honey, I'm as always from your host, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Lord Vader to my Emperor Palpatine, we have Carl Lair.
0: That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's not the east or the north side.
1: The east or the west side? No, it's not. <laughs> not the north or the south side. No, it's not. It's the dark side. You are correct, <laughs> and that's what all this episode is going to be about. Before all right, I,
0: everyone, thanks for well, tuning in. <laughs> yep.
1: Oh my gosh! Before I continue on the the dark side rap, the Star Wars rap, I forget what the exact name of it is, but oh my gosh, we watched that while we were in San Francisco together um, a couple of times, and it's hilarious.
0: Yeah, well, it's hilarious when you do it because it's so, like, out of character for you. (laughs) Just like uh, you're a new hope punch in the face. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, So, we're – oh, man, I'm so excited for this episode. This is something um, that I put on the schedule, like, months ago that we kept just kind of delaying in light of, like, solo coverage and then – the San Francisco trip, all, this thing has been sitting on the back burner for about two, maybe three months now. And it's just a fun little episode where we're going to look at how are all the villains introduced in each of the subsequent Star Wars films. So in their introduction scene, what do we learn about them? What do we think about them in their very initial appearance on screen? So that's kind of what we're going to be doing in this particular episode. Um, oh, yeah. But before we get to that, Jason, there was some huge news that obviously dropped uh like late last week in in light of San Diego comic-con where we learned that clone wars is coming back for its final season. And I knew you were busy at work when Joe and I hopped on to make a quick episode. So I, you know, I'm curious what your thoughts were when you saw the news. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm going to preface this by
1: about a week ago. um, Actually, I think it was right after you, Katie and I finished recording last week. I was looking at some, you know, some stuff online and something came up for the um, 10th anniversary panel that they were having for Clone Wars at San Diego Comic-Con. And like in the back of my head ran this thought, what if they're bringing it back? Because I was like, they have to give us something big. But this thought ran in the back of my head, what if they're bringing it back? And I was like, I can't say that out loud. I cannot say that out loud because then it will never happen. So I didn't tell anybody, you know. <laughs> so, um, and then two days later, I'm, you know, all of a sudden my phone blows up while I'm at work, and it's all the Twitter notifications of everybody responding to the post that you made that they brought Clone Wars back, and I was like, <gasps> oh my gosh! <laughs> um, so I was super excited to hear that, and then I watched the trailer and nearly bawled my eyes out when. Um, when they, they played it and everything. Um, and they ended it with hashtag Clone Wars saved. Um, because I was part of the the letter writing campaign that went out like right after season five was finished. You know, and the whole rumor about it being canceled was swirling around and everything. And I wrote a letter to Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy, you know, saying I really would like, you know, this to continue and here's why and I really hope you, you know, consider all this. Um and so it, it was almost like justification for <laughs> fans. Um and for me personally that it came back. And so, you know, obviously it had nothing to do with just me and the letter I wrote. Um but it was one of those things where um if you if you see the The panel where they played it, um, right after that initial trailer ended, you know they they bring the lights back up and uh, Matt Lanter, who voiced Anakin, and Ashley Eckstein, who voiced Ahsoka, were on the panel, and Matt is like standing up, punching his fists in the air, cheering, um, mm-hmm. and Ashley Eckstein is sitting there with her hand over her mouth, trying to hide an ugly cry because she's so emotional about. This and the ecstatic reception the crowd is giving it, Um, and I was like, "Yeah, right there, those two, all the emotions I'm feeling about this right now." So, (laughs) 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 Um, it's only going to be as far as I can tell, one episode or one season, um, about twelve episodes. But I am super, super excited about this because we're going to get the Siege of Mandalore stuff. So, or the the Battle of Mandalore.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be good.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! But yeah, I'm I am so flippin' excited about it, and it'll come out obviously on the the Disney Direct app, whatever that they name it, um, next year. And holy buckets um they're going to make their you know a nice chunk of money with everybody who just wants to come and watch clone wars on that thing um so i'm i'm so stoked so excited um that this is coming back and i I cannot wait to see the new content so
0: (laughs) yeah i think it's i think it's going to be pretty good that'd be my guess now Uh. I, you, we were just talking before we started recording that you, you, know, you told me you watched the entire panel, the 10-year anniversary yes. panel. I have not watched it yet, so I got to do that. Um, the only thing I did watch, and it just brought me right back to all the celebrations, specifically Celebration 6 um, in Anaheim. Where, or I guess that was just Celebration Anaheim. But when, you know, right when we saw that first Force Awakens trail and everybody just like lost their minds. But watching somebody just, you know, recorded the audience's reaction. And it's just yeah. like, it's that's what gives me chills, right? Like, that's the best thing about these things. Now, when I watched yes. that at home, the trailer for it and everything, like, I was excited. It was cool. Um, but. There's something about watching that in a huge community of Star Wars fans that can't be beat. So I think I watched the video of the fan reaction almost as much, if not more, than the trailer itself. <laughs> so oh, same, same. I mean, I watched the trailer a couple
1: times, and I was like, I gotta get, I gotta know what the atmosphere is like in the room. And so I found that that video as well, and I watched that several times as well. And you know, everyone's cheering and hooping and hollering, and then it says um, a war left unfinished. Dot dot dot. Until now, and then everybody just (laughs) went, what? Lost their minds, and I was like, "Yeah, me too." So, I mean, I would have loved to have been there in the room when it happened, and I I gotta ask Riley and Bethany about it because they were there. Um, so, but oh my gosh, I'm super excited now, and and yes, the audience reaction got me jacked up <laughs> with excitement all over again yeah um but yeah uh dave filoni did say on the panel um because they played that at the end obviously right uh and he said a few quick things about it over the noise of people ho- pooping and hollering saying i love you dave um uh before they played it again to close out the panel but he said you know we've we've you know gotten some of the first you know finished uh, scenes back from, from the animators uh, and he was worried that they wouldn't be able to recapture the look and the feel and everything that they had for the series and he's like but no, it looks amazing, it looks great and I think you'll really enjoy it so um, that's exciting so he's, he's pleased and it seems to live up to the standard that he's looking for, for when it comes to Clone Wars so um, yeah, that's going to be a big deal in 2019.
0: <laughs> yeah, 2019 is going to be a huge year. You got the launch of that app, you've got Clone Wars coming back, and of course, you've got Episode 9. So, yes. n- next year is going to be huge. Oh, duh. Hello, Celebration. <laughs> <laughs> right? There's that oh, too. Oh, wait, Jason, <laughs> buckle up for a second. What if at Celebration we got to watch the first episode of Clone Wars just like we did all those years ago? Oh, my God. I mean,
1: maybe we shouldn't spread that rumor around to because quote, then we don't want the line yes, to be too to,
0: big. To quote, to quote Steve Glosson, oh, my lanta. That would exactly. be Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh.
1: I would line up for hours for that panel. Um, yes. Yes.
0: Well, we very um, well may have to.
1: Right. <laughs> so,
0: like we did. Remember when we watched the Rebels premiere for season three of Rebels at Celebration Anaheim? You, myself, uh, who else? Oh, and Crystal and Mike. Cohen, we were in line for, I think, close to three hours, right. um, but we got great seats, so it was worth it. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, I'd play that but, game for Clone Wars.
1: Yeah, I would I would totally do that all over again for Clone Wars um, in a heartbeat. Um, it's, my, it's my first love when it comes to Star Wars animation um, is Clone Wars, so yes, I would do that all over again in a heartbeat, um, but... Yeah, no, I'm super excited now. and Oh, my gosh. There, I think the celebration is going to be fantastic. We could get, you know, obviously some first looks at episode nine. We're going to get probably some looks uh, more at Clone Wars. We're going to have hopefully, you know, a celebration of 20 years of the Phantom Menace. Uh, this might be just one of the greatest celebrations. Not
0: to mention our potential podcast stage appearance.
1: Right, right. If 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 we get accepted, uh, you know, fingers crossed.
0: Yes, um, I'm going to work on us uh, all Wampasler sequined jacket to wear. Oh dear. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not oh dear. Oh great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if the uh, <laughs> the sequence might blind me, Carl. Um, just Don't look right at him, Jason. It's like an exploding Death Star. Just don't look right at it. Oh my gosh, it's hard not to when you are wearing something like that. Um, it's like a train wreck. Uh- <laughs> oh, all right, buddy. Well, we should we should hop into the matchup that we have to go over from from last episode where yes. we pitted Ray against Asajj Ventress, and the Larian's had quite the response to this. Um, and I'll say this: I did not expect it to be as Well, I'm not surprised it's as one-sided as it turned out to be, but I didn't intend for that. So what say the Larian's about this particular matchup? Um, Well, we've got quite a bit of responses, so let me run through these. On Facebook,
1: our buddy Jazz... um Gives it to Asajj Ventress. But Adori MacArthur, Asajj, she's more ruthless. Travis Magruder says Asajj. She's taken on a master and a knight simultaneously. Uh, Jeffrey Beaumont uh, says maybe we come back to this fight after episode nine and we'll revisit it. But right now he gives it to Asajj. Uh, Thomas Davis gives it to Rey for a stronger connection to the Force. Uh, Dawood... Kulak, I'm, I'm sure I mispronounced that name, so I'm sorry, um, gives it to Asajj Ventress. Uh, William Wolson also gives it to Asajj Ventress. Brian Goering gives it to Ventress. Uh, Brian Bailey gives it to Ray. Uh, Jay Schmidt gives it to Ventress. Paul Gann, Asajj Ventress. Joseph Singleton, going to give this one to Ventress. Uh, may not have the raw force power, but she can call a stalemate with Obi-Wan and Anakin. Um... James Bryson Grigger also gives it to Ventress, but uh, focuses it from the micro-series Clone Wars. Um, Twitter, at JediJack13, uh, says, even though it pains me to save this, given Ray is one of my favorite characters, I think Ventress uh, wipes the floor with her. Um, at ChaseBoogie3 gives it to Ray. At Wanga 17 by the way, love that handle. <laughs> um Gives it to Asajj Ventress. Um, our newcomer uh, monthly host at Damron, Katie Horn, gives it to Ventress because she's still not over this moment and sent us a uh, gif of Ventress stabbing through Commander Colt and kissing him um, from that one episode of Clone Wars. Um, at Jim C. Capron uh, hates giving... Having to choose between these two, but ultimately gives it to Asajj Ventress. Um, at Porg Bach, same thing, gives it to Ventress. At MCNN Pod, gives it to Ventress as well. At Kyle Ash, uh, gives it to Ray and sent us a GIF of the Ray battle yell, which was a pretty awesome GIF. Um, our buddy at Arkwolf, Michael Cohen, uh, says this is a tough one. Uh, Assage would win if Ray didn't have Destiny on her side. At Schmidt underscore Jim says Ventress. At Finfan thirteen Assage Ventress. After episode nine, this may be different. Um, at Wars Junkie gives it to Assage. Love her. Uh, at the Ace Jedi gives it to Assage Ventress. More experience with lightsaber duels. Um, at Tara Roshan gives it to Ray. At Andrew B. Cassell gives it to Asajj Ventress, hands down. But then at the last moment, they would team up and take over the galaxy. Um, and then finally, we got an email from our good buddy Patrick, who says, uh, for the matchup, I'll give it to Ventress. Ventress would put Ray on the defense a majority of the time, which gives us a final Larian tally of 23 for Asajj Ventress and 6 for Ray. I do think Ventress got an unanticipated bump from the good news that happened over the weekend involving Clone Wars, Um, but I'm not overly surprised that she ended up winning this matchup, especially from what we've seen so far. I do agree with a lot of people that after Episode Nine, we might want to revisit this matchup because it could turn out differently. But that being said, Carl, what do you say?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'd definitely go with Saj as well. For all the reasons that they've said, right, that the Larians have said, and which is she's more experienced, she has a lot more lightsaber combat expertise, she was personally trained by Dooku. Um, but I agree with everyone's point, right? Like, it's almost like this was too pr- premature of a matchup. Um, I mean, Rey is certainly formidable, um, and right when she channels the force, she does become kind of this freak of nature. But that really only happened against Kylo, who's also very wounded. Um Asajj, like, the fact that she can go toe-to-toe with Anakin and Obi-Wan at the same time. Yes, like, Anakin's not still at his full prime, but they are some pretty powerful Jedi Knights. So, yeah, I, I think she takes this hands down. Episode 9 could certainly change my opinion, but as it stands, it's definitely Asajj. What do you think? Um I... You know how I like rooting for
1: the underdogs in these matchups and I was trying to find a way to go with low gray, to give aren't you say what it's gonna go... you're gonna go with low gray no I mean obviously <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> but um I was trying to find a way to give this to Ray but at, from what we've seen right now I can't um, I do think she would put up a really good fight um, and when it comes to pure uh, force potential. I think Ray's got Asajj beat, but Asajj has all the the technical skills with lightsabers that Ray does not have, um, and and I think in the end that wins the day. But I think the the what helps tip it in Asajj's favor also is that Asajj's other tactic is to get inside the head of her. Opponent. Mm. And I think she would take advantage of Ray's naivete and really get in her head at this point. Um, now, again, I think this all changes after we've seen episode nine. Uh, but right now, from what we're seeing, I think Asaj gets in Ray's head, takes advantage of her naivete, and uh, uses her skills to um, find the holes in Ray's defenses and win. So I'm going to give this one to Asaj as well which gives us a final tally of 25 for Asajj Ventress and 6 for Rey. Um, and again, like I said, I think that Asajj Ventress may have gotten a slight bump considering the good news we got out of San Diego Comic-Con involving Clone Wars, but that was not our intention, <laughs> but it yeah. just sort of happened that way.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of this matchup before we got that announcement because, like I said, I, uh, I've i been rewatching Clone Wars. I'm just starting Season 2, and uh, I just... That is such a darn good show
1: it is it is, um, and I need to go back and start watching it again too. I was doing like you know episode reviews on our Facebook page for a while and then kind of stopped. I need to pick that back up again,
0: yeah, you know um I have to go back to work in a little over a week and a half, and I don't know what I'm gonna do because I've had so much time to consume Star Wars, so <laughs> students will be coming into my office, and I'll be like, hold on a minute, I'm finishing an episode of the Clone Wars. <laughs> 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 don't tell my boss. <laughs> They'll probably be like, okay. <laughs> right. Can I watch with you? Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> but just shut up. <laughs> um, not disturb the Clone Wars. No, it's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Oh, my gosh. Hi. It's not the – wait. What? I don't remember how it goes.
1: It's not the
0: east or the west side. No, it's not.
1: It's not the north or the south side. No, it's not. It's the dark side. You are correct. (laughs) I've got like that whole Emperor (laughs) Vader chunk. Probably pretty well memorized. Um, But yeah,
0: I should probably stop before I scare off people. Um, It's amazing. Don't apologize. (laughs) Wish my internet would work. I was trying to pull it up, but my internet for some reason doesn't want to work. Um, Gangsta rap. Is that what it's called? I think so. Um, well, anyway, that's totally fine because you do it well enough. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we have a uh, we have a poll for you at the end of the episode, so certainly stick around for that. Um, but like we said at the top of the episode, uh, this episode is all about those intro scenes of our villains in the Star Wars films. Um, so, obviously, we are sticking to the films uh, specifically, and we're kind of doing this in – a weird reverse order where we're going to hit the two standalone films and then go f- descending from episode seven to one and looking at the, the intro of eight. Thank you. To episode eight. Yes. Gosh, there's quite a few of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's kind of the, like the main villain of, of that particular film or, or something like that. So uh, some of the some of the movies, specifically the prequels, you might be like, "Well, this person's the main villain," but um, but we're 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 doing this our way. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I want to start with the introduction of Dryden Voss in in Solo, and that's actually what gave me the idea for this episode. Um, one of the times when I was watching the movie. I absolutely love the way Dryden is introduced, right? So we have Beckett and Han coming in with Chewie and, you know, one of his attendants says, um, Dryden will be with you shortly. He's just finishing with a regional governor. And then, boom, we go right to him killing the regional governor. Right. This is a guy not afraid to get his hands dirty. He's using a vibro knife, which, by the way, we've never actually seen in a film yet. Like, we've heard about vibro knives for decades now but we've never seen one on screen now i could be wrong there's probably somebody sitting home right now with their solo ultimate guide they're like actually that's not a vibro knife it's a blah 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 and if that's the case i apologize jason you've got it don't you i I do i'm going to pull it up and and just confirm what exactly it is perfect Um, but yeah like i'm saying you know it's such a great introduction of the villain of this movie and why you should be afraid of him um you know there's even you know a regional governor, yes, we don't know anything about this regional governor or anything even particularly about the planet that they're on, but we just know from our own vernacular governors are powerful people. They're people of influence, and here you have Dryden killing him by his own hand um, and just doing it so viciously, and I think that's really important because it sets up right from the get-go that this villain is not someone to be crossed, and he's very much a mob villain, right, the sense that he'll get his hands dirty, he'll do the dirty work. Which is a redundant st- statement. I apologize, um, and uh, you know this is something for our heroes to be afraid of. So I really love this intro of Dryden.
1: Oh, and Dryden's a fantastic villain. He, I love him. So yes, I and we've we've kind of heard about him as soon as uh, Beckett mentions you know Crimson Dawn, uh, he brings up Dryden Voss and how he's not someone to be crossed, um, and you know he, he's even. Uh, mentioned in the in the when he, Beckett tells uh, Han, "No, you and Chewie don't come with me. Dryden Voss doesn't know who you are, but he knows me." And so he's trying to help protect Han and Chewie from Voss. And so when you've got Beckett, who technically doesn't have any required loyalty to Han and Chewie at this point, saying, "No, I'd rather you not meet him because then he knows who you are." Um... You're already like, okay, who's this guy and why is he so scary? Um and then you're right, he's just dealing with the regional governor. And um stab. Stabbity stab, and he's like, you know <laughs> He's like, Oh, it's nothing, you know, it's a party, I get all worked up, silly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that all, Dryden? Um But yeah, no, I I think he's a great villain and his introduction is pretty awesome uh, because like you're right. It it says he's not afraid to get down and and do what must be done, you know, Uh, do the dirty work and he doesn't suffer any fools. You know, you cross him, you fail him, you're dead essentially. You know, there is no real room for wiggle room on that. Um, and he has no qualms about killing you, about, you know, exacting that punishment. Um, and he keeps track, very meticulous track of who owes him, who's failed him, what and where there, there are in their ledger, so to speak, uh, when it comes to his favor. So he's, a. Uh, He's a conniving, very meticulous villain who has these
0: outbursts of you know rage, and it's scary sometimes, <laughs> yeah yeah and and clearly even it manifested on his face, the way his scars change and become deep red and um, yeah, the the
1: blood rushes to his face because of the emotion, they become much more prominent, and it's yep, that's uh. It's kind of freaky, but cool. Yeah. I like it.
0: Yeah, I love how vicious he is, but also how. Well, I mean, to be fair, that first shot of him is just one of viciousness. But like, you know, you you nail it. Is then he immediately goes into this. You know, I get all worked up. It's a party. You know, <laughs> um, just so like this debon debonair to him, like this cal- yeah. calm and coolness. But he's also like a caged animal.
1: It's almost it's it's almost like. He's um a bit like, and you're gonna like this analogy, um, an evil Bruce Wayne Batman type. Mm. The real him is this vicious, crazy, rage-filled animal. But he puts on the Bruce Wayne facade in order to charm everyone and to, you know, entice people to do what he wants them to do. So
0: I love there it there you go I love it perfect <laughs> perfect analogy i i I figured you- enjoy that analogy <laughs> it's perfect um so well moving into rogue one, you know we get a very different type of villain um with his very own prominent introduction and that's you know obviously of director Krennic, and you know marching across this desolate field with his death troopers into the farm of Galen erso and Right, you know, um, I really appreciate Gareth's, you know, eye for for colors and and symbols there, and he, you know, he was very intentional about making this particular scene the inverse of what we got on A New Hope, where you have the the white clad, you know, stormtroopers coming through, with then the black clad main villain Darth Vader. Well, now it's the inverse of that, you've got the black clad black clad Death Troopers with the white clad Krennic, um, mm-hmm. and Krennic is you know there's something very stately to him right the way he first shows up the way he's marching in um and i don't know there's something right from the get go different about Krennic from almost every star wars villain and i think there is a sense of um i don't know like you can om- like you don't hate him right away like he's not He's not necessarily somebody to be hated, and it's because he's approaching Galen, who's an old friend, an old coworker, colleague, whatever you want to call it. So there's a sense of decency that exists to Krennic that we're not necessarily used to with the Star Wars villain. Um, in some ways, I don't know. He's he doesn't show up to scare you, but he does have these intimidating Death Troopers with him. Um, I don't know. I, I think he's.
1: He's got the intimidating Death Troopers to sort of put you on edge, but he wants to come across as being friendly enough so he doesn't have to use them. Um, and and the visual is great. The visual of the the inverse of Vader and the Stormtroopers from A New Hope is a great one. Um, and I do like that. But I think what, what sort of makes you want to root for Krennic in a way as a villain is because he's the underdog villain. You know, he's not on the top of the totem pole. He's trying to climb his way up there, um, but he—he's not on the top of the heap. He's a—you know—in a way, a bit of the grunt who's trying to get the recognition. Hence, why he's got a gigantical flowing cape um, when he's in his—you know. Dress uniform; it, it it attracts attention and it gives him this larger sense of grandeur than the status he actually has. Um, but the opening scene is a good one uh, because, while he is sort of your blue collar <laughs> uh, villain, he will do anything to ensure his ascent towards the top continues. Because as soon as you know Galen starts lying to him, and Lyra shows up, he's like, "Okay, we're done playing," and he's going to take what he wants, whether anyone else is going to cooperate or not. You know, he has Lyra killed, um, and Galen taken. He wants the children, the the, the child found. He, I have a child. Find it. He has no idea if it's a boy or a girl because he doesn't care that much. Um, <laughs> but um and then he has the farm burned so that no one can return to it you know it's he covers all his bases and he will do anything he can to continue his upward advancement and galen is another you know piece for that and so he's going to make sure he gets it whether galen wants to come or not um he's going to eliminate all the distractions for galen so that galen is forced to come with him him. and cooperate
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, Galen. I'll take care of all these distractions. Your family, will right, right. kill him
1: <laughs> Right, exactly. He's, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's he's not nice,
0: but he's not initially unlikable, which is weird. Right. Well, I mean, he it's does weird. right. He's appealing to him at first just to come. It's you're right. You that's really you know well well said. You know, as as soon as uh, Galen starts to lie, that's when. Krennic starts to just say like enough of this, you know. Yeah, um, he won't pull punches now. Um, so, right. Yeah. No, that's great. But um, I love I love Krennic,
1: so I I would, you know, I'm glad we we were able to bring him in on this.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a good villain. He's a very different kind of villain too, which which I appreciate. Yes. Um So. But uh, now moving backwards into the saga films with uh, episode eight, you know, um, I'm going with Snoke as kind of the main villain of of the movie, um, even though, I mean, I guess you could say both he and Kylo are. Um, but he's the first big villain that kind of reveals himself again. I mean, yes, we see Hux and we do have a great moment with Kylo, but I don't know why I just kind of chose Snoke. Um, well, it's because Kylo is conflicted. Kylo is going through a big conflicted
1: character arc, and and he's, you know, working with the villains, yes, but, you know, there's still the question of, is he really going to stay there? Right. Um, So I I do think Snoke plays the the head villain role best in uh, Last Jedi.
0: Yeah. And... Again, he, he shows up in the same way he does in Force Awakens, which is via hologram, but this time he's just a disembodied face, fig you know, like literal head. And he's huge and scary and and, and kind of haunting. I mean there's something about Snoke that's creepy. Um, yeah, I think that we even got in Force Awakens, but now right here too, you know, there's a slyness to him, General Hux. You know, I don't know. It just he just makes me think of like the serpent in the garden. You know, there's just something very sinister about him. And um, you know, what's huge about this scene is he embarrasses and belittles Hux in front of his entire bridge, right? Hux yeah. is. This, you know, he's like this, you know, big time general in the First Order. Um, I mean, everyone in the military knows him and knows how powerful he is. And here you have Snoke slamming him to his face and just belittling him um, and showing yeah. his anger. You know, uh, Snoke is, um, I mean, he's just going to be ruthless. If you displease him, he's going to be ruthless.
1: Yeah, no, it is. And and he's... um Going to ensure that everyone – respect is not the right word – fears him. Um, And by doing that, he shows up as larger than life when he's in hologram form um, like he did in uh, Force Awakens and like the Emperor does um, in Empire Strikes Back. Um, But he's also going to prove that he has the power and the ability – to, you know, eliminate people if they fail him uh, by using the force from his ship, which is not the ship Hux is on, uh, to fling Hux onto his face and drag him around the bridge. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's quite the show of force. Mm-hmm. Pardon the pun. <laughs> um but uh, the show of strength, and and it's – he he doesn't take failure well, like many of our villains. Um, and he's going to make sure everyone remembers it. And so he's going to create this humiliating situation for Hux, so Hux doesn't forget anytime soon. But it also means that Hux is going to have to do things more ruthless and more – Uh, aggressive next time in order to regain the respect amongst his his officers and subordinates so you know it's uh snoke is not a nice person and i think you're right the the you know there is a sinister almost you know serpentine quality to um to snoke um and it, it comes out in other scenes as well, but you know, also in this one. So,
0: yeah. You know, I'm also just thinking in a scene like that, where he so publicly shows a power with the, you know, with the force, I think that might be something different than the emperor, right? You know, I, I'm sure by the time we get to the original trilogy, much of at least the Senate, if not the galaxy at large is aware that Palpatine has the power of the force, but very early on, right? He, he doesn't allow that knowledge to be spread. Um, So I don't think you maybe would see the emperor using the force. So willy nilly in front of others, but Snoke, I mean, it's very clear for Snoke. It's no secret that he is powerful with the force and he'll use that at his beck and call. Um, So I just, I I think that's really a really neat, you know, gesture (laughs) or um, that Snoke is, is not afraid to, to show it off in front of people. It makes him more intimidating. Right.
1: Yeah. It does. And, and I think you know, the Emperor keeps his force abilities largely hidden, at least to the public, um, because that way he appears f- more frail um, and perhaps more kindly to the general public than you know if he was using the force to intimidate so and so that keeps his uh his approval numbers up so to speak um (laughs) right yeah
0: shall we move on to the force awakens we shall and uh this has a this has a great intro to to our main villain and uh i'm gonna i'm gonna play this little clip just for a second hold on here we go good you've become <laughs> love it I, I could play yeah both. this was something my, my last gal pal and I would always re, reenact this scene we would take turns being either Lor Tekka or Kylo <laughs> I loved it <laughs> <laughs> I made her promise me that if we got married one day that would be our wedding vows but alas it's not to be <laughs> <laughs> I should have picked something more real. (laughs) Look how old you've become.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful thing to say.
0: Something far Uh, worse has happened to you. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's a wonderful thing to say on your wedding day, Carl. You know what Um, I've come for.
0: I know where you come from before you called yourself Kylo Ren. The map to Skywalker. You know you found it, and now you'll give it to the First Order. Anyway, I will stop with that. Um, I love that. But the reason I kind of wanted to play the clip, and I don't, I don't know if you could tell, it's, sometimes it's easier to notice these things when you're just listening to the audio. I love the sound of his feet stomping um, mm-hmm. as he comes down the gangplank of his ship, and then he's, even as he's walking across the sands of Jakku. There's a, um, this is a bit of a stretch, because obviously physically there's not this correlation, but Kylo is kind of the, the Bane villain of the Star Wars saga in the sense that he is a brute. You know, yes, Bane is physically massive and, and, and brut- brutish. Kylo's not physically a brute, but there's something very brute to the way he uses his power, the way he shows up. Um, and uh, I like that about him. I love this intro of him in Force Awakens. And just the way he marches down with, with just tremendous power and seething energy. Um, and then he immediately goes toe-to-toe with Lore Santeca and, and kills him in cold blood, right? Yeah. Like whips out his executioner's blade and just, just ends him with no explanation. Um, and I think it's – well, actually, I, give, I, I take that immediately back. There is an explanation. He does not want his past talked about. He immediately silences somebody who would think that you can talk to me about my past. And then immediately he's fired upon by Poe and freezes it in its tracks. I mean, everything about Kylo in his introduction is great. He's physically intimidating. He's kind of kind of scary. Um and you don't mess with him. I mean, even Lor Santeca. I don't know. Again, we don't know how well he knows Kylo, but there seems to be some foreknowledge about who he is, and that implies that Kylo has no um has no hesitation in killing people that he even knows, which clearly is is manifested at the end of the film. Right. You no, know, and 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 he's intimidating. He's
1: quite intimidating and you know a bit freaky and a bit scary in this opening scene um the the introduction of it all in particular with him stalking down the um the ramp there is very feral like he's hunting um i've i've often you know thought of the analogy of he, he reminds me a bit of a vulture in a sense the way he stalks around and has that kind of like stoop to him, and that that you know he's almost always like stooped over, crouched over slightly, like he's ready for uh, something to to come at him, and so he can like jump on it before it gets to him. Um, and then, especially at the end of the scene, the way he turns and stares right at at Finn has that very similar quality to it too. He's you know he's a bit hunched over, and great great mask acting um, by Adam Driver, but he is he is intimidating he is terrifying and um, a bit unhinged in the way that he operates because you're right as soon as his past is talked about he silences Lorcenteca you know he doesn't want anybody to know about him and he hates his past and so he's going to silence anyone who would bring it up um, and so it, it it is a fantastic opening. Uh, scene for this character, and it's it is incredibly reminiscent and incredibly in the same vein of Vader on the Ten of Four. Um, so it, it's it's a good callback there. So
0: yeah, um, well, go you know continuing to move forward, then we get to Return of the Jedi with the introduction of the Emperor, which I played. You know, I played that. But almost the whole clip at the top of the show there. This is one of my favorite scenes in Star Wars, which um, it's, at some point we need to do like a top six through ten moments for certain things. Because when we limit ourselves <laughs> to top five, there's so many, so many categories, right? There's other moments I want to talk about that we don't get a chance to. Um, and I don't know maybe where this would fall, but this very well may be my favorite intro scene. In Star Wars. Um, I'd have to think about it. Maybe not my favorite, but definitely in the top top five, if not top three. And the main reason is I just love that, you know, as they, they zoom out. Well, first off, we get this great shot from the exterior of the Death Star. We've got all these TIE fighters flying by, you know, it really just creating this perimeter around the hemisphere of Death Star 2. And then you go inside the hangar and you've got this great shot of, you know, just... This massive garrison of troops of all different branches, right? You've got scout troopers, storm troopers, you know, ATST drivers, you name it. They're there. And out of this, you know, shuttle comes this these blood red guards, and here comes the Emperor. Now, when we see him in Empire Strikes Back, it does reveal to us that he's old and you know, kind of a shrouded character. But I really do think that when he comes you know, slowly down this ramp and he's got this cane. I mean, this is a very old guy. He's not really what you might expect. And what I love of just this visual show of force is this is the kind of control this character has. Everyone mm-hmm. is at his beck and call. And down he comes the ramp and immediately Vader falls to his knee. Now, granted, we did see Vader kneel before him in Empire, you know, when they have their Skype call. But... <laughs> Once again, though, I mean, just as soon as he starts his down that ramp, Vader just falls to his knee, um you know, which is you know in 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 the Western world, this image of someone falling to their knee like that is very cognitive of someone you know falling before their God, right, like kneeling before your god and or that's, your king or your king, right, and that's exactly what Vader's doing, um which I just think is a very powerful statement because. You know, now after seeing A New Hope and Empire, we know how powerful and vicious and scary Vader is. And now here he is, kneeling to a crippled old man. What kind of power does this guy possess? And then in their conversation, we learned that this is a guy who thinks he controls everything, even the destiny of the galaxy. Right. And just this nonchalant, cocky way of speaking about knowing what Vader really wants and... Telling him, well, here's exactly how it's going to go down. You know, he just assumes that not only is he in control of this empire, he's in control of the destiny force, the force itself. He believes himself to be God, if such a thing existed in Star Wars.
1: Yeah, no, he he definitely believes he can see and predict, um, and to some extent shape. The galaxy to do what he wills, to do what he wants it to do, and for the past twenty or so years, he's been largely right. You know, um, he's been, you know, fairly unchallenged. This you know rebellion, this Rebel Alliance, has been an irritant. It's been getting getting even more powerful, but he's really not personally. That concerned about it. You know, and of course he believes that, you know, this is the perfect trap. We're going to completely eliminate the uh, alliance here with this trap. Um, And we're going to get um, Skywalker and everything is going to go uh, as I have foreseen. Um, But you're right. Backing up to his entrance, you have the entire... Hanger just filled with soldiers troops officers um all standing at rigid attention you have vader and moff
0: jergerod or jared how you want to pronounce it um i like to jared just because it makes me feel like he has his own like um jam you know like <laughs> Everybody, come get your Jajar jam. It's great on toast, <laughs> sandwiches, and apple butter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you've
1: got them, you know, waiting for him to come down. And as soon as the guards finish spilling out of the, the shuttle, both of them kneel. And while Jared is, is kneeling in a way that is deferent and respectful um, to a superior Vader not only is kneeling, but has his head bowed Mm. as if this is his master, which obviously it is. But he is very subservient to the Emperor. Incredibly so. The Emperor holds Vader's leash. And, you know, we know from a lot of the comics and from, you know, the uh, uh, Lords of the Sith, the emperor makes sure Vader knows he still has the other end of the leash a lot. Mm. Um, So, (laughs) uh, so Vader is there in a very subservient form. And I've never ever seen Vader as subservient as that um, in, in the films, except maybe when he is christened Vader um, in revenge of the Sith. So it's, uh, it's a remarkable scene And he's – you're right. He's this little old man, this little old man, outwardly very unintimidating. Um, But he wields great power and
0: incredible control. Yeah, The emperor did not have an Uncle Ben in his life to tell him that with great power comes great responsibility.
1: (laughs) No. No, he probably killed Uncle Ben and said, said, fine, I will take that great power and you can have the responsibility. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> oh we laugh at death <laughs>
0: Look, well and we are doing a villains episode very um, true very true <laughs> Sheev palp would be very happy good old, oh yeah good old Sheev. <laughs> <laughs> so um empire strikes back also has um one of my favorite intro scenes as well and it's You know, it just it simply starts with really nothing more than Vader staring out of the, you know, staring out from the executor bridge, just looking at the rest of his fleet. And we've learned now through ancillary material, specifically in some of the new comics, that this particular fleet is known as um, is it called Vader's fist? Is that right? Um, I could be wrong about that. Or is that just Uh, another word for the 501st? I think that's the 501st is Vader's Fist. Yeah, um, But yeah, there is for, Death Squadron maybe. The you're right. Yeah, it does have a very specific name. And I know probably so many of you are screaming it to us right now. I wish we could hear you. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I apologize. that I can't remember it. But it's kind of similar to what we were just talking about with the Emperor in Turn of the Jedi. Once again, we have a villain who is, again, just taking in everything that he controls. This entire fleet, all of this might and power. Is subservient to Vader. This is all that he wields this with you know tremendous power. Um and right then you have you know the 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 quick little teleconference between Piet and and Ozl, and Vader hears it and takes interest. And as he walks across that bridge, my gosh, I would love a set piece to recreate that on. But uh, as he's walking across the bridge, you know, upper corridor, you can just see the fear on the faces of all, you know, the lieutenants and crew chief that work in the pit there of the bridge. And there is it's I don't even know if it's respect for Vader. It's just simply fear is what I see. Um, And then he just comes in and just, you know, starts barking out orders and and in a way usurping admiral ozel and um you know if again if you're if you're watching empire strikes back fresh off a new hope with nothing in your mind but a new hope which is obviously impossible for most modern fans but i would imagine that initial thing right like vader doesn't have that kind of command in a new hope like yes he definitely force chokes motti but the officers aren't really afraid to speak up or against vader and we can kind of assume that, you know, the higher-ups do have either as much or possibly more power than Vader, but here he comes in and just starts telling everyone how it's going to go down. Um, that's power. Yeah. Um,
1: by the way, the, the fleet is called the Death Squadron. Yes, got it.
0: Yeah. Um, but you're right. This is this is a show of force, a show of power. Real quick, Jason, when I said it's called Vader's Vist, you should have said, "No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's the dark side." You are correct.
1: Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, I love it.
0: Uh,
1: but but to go back to this entrance, I. Uh, you're right. It is it is a show of force, a show of power, uh, the power that Vader now wields. Uh, because we get the um, all the shots of the fleet as the Imperial March begins to play, and we we see the growing shadow of uh, the Executor over the smaller Star Destroyers, and we finally get to see it, and then we go onto the bridge, and there is Vader, and he is surveying. All of his command, you know, and and, and it is a powerful statement because this is a very incredibly strong and deadly um, armada that is being brought to bear against the Rebel Alliance. And it is all under the command of Vader. Vader, in a sense, has moved from just... Palpatine's agent and Palpatine's um, right hand into a very direct military leader in the years between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Um, and and I think he's gotten there purely, you know, in a sense by force of will um, and, and eliminating those who would oppose him. Until now, he has this fleet, and it is his to do what he wills. And I don't think the Emperor really has much say in what he does with it, um, or, or cares to, to give much say to what he does with it. And it is a very imposing uh, force that is at Vader's beck and call to do with what he will. And he is a very singular focus in this film. that is to get Luke Skywalker by any means necessary, including using his friends as bait. Uh, And he has this entire fleet at his command to do that. So, yeah, very powerful opening for him.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and then moving right along into A New Hope, which is, again, about Vader being introduced. And you have him walking through you know, the the blown-out door in the TANF-4. And all the Imperial stormtroopers just kind of quickly come to attention and make way for him. And the one thing that always caught my eye in that particular scene is, if you notice, right as he's about to walk in, there is a stormtrooper on the left side of the screen. If you're looking at the screen, the left side of the screen, there's a stormtrooper kind of crouched down like... I think I think the other stormtrooper is dead, but it's almost like he's trying to help him or something, but as soon as Vader steps through he just drops the guy and stands at attention. Um, yeah. And in my mind, in my own headcanon, I like to think that he's trying to help just a wounded comrade, but even but at the sight of Vader, it's like nope, there's no sign for mercy, not even to our own, you know, fellow soldiers. He just immediately jumps to attention. Again, that's the kind of power that Vader commands. Um, and, and I really, really uh, appreciate that. Um, and I also like the way they shoot that particular scene, the way that George kind of angles, you know, when he first comes in, yes, it's looking right at him. But then as he marches down the corridor towards us, you have the camera kind of below him looking up, right? So it's this very dominating shot of Vader as he's marching almost onto you, um, And then even though this isn't exactly that same scene, but then we immediately, the very next scene with Vader is him holding a dude with one hand by the throat, which is where he kills Captain Antilles. And again, this is, when when looking at all these scenes we're looking at in this episode, this is one of my favorite ones because of that. Because of, again, what it says about Vader. Very similar to Dryden's introduction, is one of the very first things we see Vader do is strangle a man with his bare hand. Hand, not hands, hand. So, again, kind of like Dryden, um, Vader, too, is not afraid to get his hands dirty and, you know, um, he's not going to mess around. And now in light of Rogue One, we definitely know how how blatantly Antilles is lying to him here. Um, Oh, yeah. But it also shows, again, like how Vader's not really scared of somebody even with the clout that a guy like Antilles has, right? He's claiming that, that, you know, this is very clearly a ship that belongs to a prominent Imperial Senator. Um, Antilles is, is high up as well. Claims to be on a, you know, a peaceful mission, uh, a a diplomatic mission. Vader doesn't care. (laughs) Um, And just snaps his neck and tosses him like a rag doll.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is the classic star Wars bad guy entrance. This is the most iconic, you know, when you think of a Star Wars villain entrance, this is the first one that comes to your mind. Um, because it is the classic, it's the original. it's what every, it's what all the others are trying to either uh, emulate or do a take on or you know, take inspiration from. Um, and it is done large with, without any words at all. It is, you know, very clear. This is the bad guy. This is who we need to be scared of. Um, he's, you know, fill, he steps through the smoke um, into the, you know, the hallway there. Oh,
0: sorry. I don't know what that was. Oh, whoa. Sorry about that. Stupid ad just popped up. Hello. Hello. Um, um, sorry about that.
1: Hello there. Um <laughs> Anyway, but he, you know, he steps through the smoke and he's, first of all, you know, head and shoulders taller than anybody else pretty much. Um, So he's physically imposing. He's all in black with this big cape. Um, So he takes up a lot of space and he stands there. And you're right. There is that, that trooper who's either helping a wounded comrade or checking on someone who has been killed. And he, you know, drops his arm and stands up at attention as soon as Vader walks in the door. Um, he commands attention. He surveys the dead. Doesn't seem to, you know, just sort of take stock as to how many have fallen and, but doesn't say anything. And stalks down the hall, you know. And and you're right, that, that shot that's sort of looking up as he, you know, walks down the hall. Um, he fills it. Before he walks past. And then you kind of just get the heads of the stormtroopers as they follow. Because they're so much shorter than he is. Um, But. um, And then it does kind of continue into the the killing of, of Antilles. Which is, you know, obviously very intimidating and a bit scary. And then he, you know, as soon as he's done choking out Antilles and throwing him to the wall. He whirls around to his, you know, his troops there and says commander tear the ship apart until you found those plans and bring me the passengers i want them alive you're like what is he gonna do with them <laughs> yeah you know yeah that's immediately you're immediately like scared for the people that are brought before vader um and and it is so iconic this entrance so with the music with the colors with you know the way it's shot it is so iconic and it is the quintessential you know villain entrance for star wars um fairly or unfairly every villain entrance will be compared to this one um so uh but yeah right it's it's a great one and and there's no denying the power of it yeah
0: well so transitioning into the prequel trilogy um I don't have as much to say specifically here with the Revenge of the Sith with the introduction of Grievous. Um, I've never been a huge fan of Grievous, specifically in Revenge of the Sith. I, I kind of like him in the Clone Wars animated, like the 3D animation. The Tarkovsky series I, is my favorite incarnation of Grievous. Tarakovsky. Thank you. I always say that wrong. Um, <laughs> I think that's the one version that really gets Grievous like great. Um But, in this opening scene on the invisible hand, you have Grievous marching you know into the into the um onto the bridge of the invisible hand you know he 's coughing, which also implies that he, okay well, I guess he 's not completely a droid he's obviously there's some sense of organic life to this person, or else he wouldn't be coughing droids don't cough um but I guess the thing you can say about him is um he certainly is. In control of things to some degree, right? You know, you know, two dread I have landed in the main hangar bay. We're tracking them, just as Kanduku predicted. I, that's a horrible grievous. I don't know how to do a grievous. Voice. Just
1: as Kanduku predicted. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've never been able to really get a grievous voice. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So, I, 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 man, I I'll be honest. I really struggle to say anything really much about this point. It's just kind of there, um, and it's well. Like, yeah, so please feel free. I, I'm not trying to be like like a jerk or anything. I just I don't have a lot to say because there's not much to it. He's just there and okay. I guess he's... The, I mean, it's pretty clear he's the villain. Um, the thing I'll, I'll... So here's the one thing I really like in the scenes. I do like the colors on the Bridge of the Invisible Hand, like kind of that kind of gross lime green, almost like vomity color. <laughs> you know, there's just... Yeah. There's something very villainous about that color. But Grievous himself... There's nothing about him that grabs me. That's the thing. Like That's why I I don't find him to be intimidating. I don't find him to be necessarily scary. Not here. I mean, I think he has those moments in other parts of Star Wars media, specifically in Clone Wars. I really find him to be a throwaway character in Revenge of the Sith, which I know is an unfair thing to say because he is important to the plot. But he doesn't scare me. Like all the villains we've talked about so far, there's something about their intros that are really great. I don't have much to say for Grievous, so help me out here, buddy. Well,
1: I think the problem with this, um is that number one, it's not his most impressive scene in the movie to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and he is a bit of a lackey. Um, he's you know, third in command, so to speak, you right. know he he's you know, obviously Sidious is in charge. Then you have Duku, who is much closer to Sidious than Grievous is to Duku, and you have Grievous after that, um, and he sort of ascends to the level of second in command when Duku is killed. But this is not an intimidating scene. You get the scene, you know, the sense that he is a villain, but he's more of a of a thug than a you know a true villain because as the movie progresses, we find out the big reveal that oh, the big villain is really Palpatine. And he's really used as you know as a reason to get Obi One off Coruscant, uh, so Anakin has the opportunity to turn um, in Revenge of the Sith. He's he is a villain. Uh, he he reminds me a bit of like a crow, <laughs> you know, uh, picking at you know a crow or some sort of scavenging bird. You know, picking at the the dead carrion around him. He, he's he's never super intimidating, especially in the Clone Wars and especially in in the movie. Um, he's, but that's not his character. He is a bit of a you know of a coward when it comes down to it. He has his intimidating moments, um, and I think <laughs> for those of us who watched the micro series, the Genndy Tartakovsky micro series before Revenge of the Sith came out, I think that sort of colored the grievous we got in Revenge of the Sith a little bit because he was intimidating he was terrifying um, in the micro series you know he took on four Jedi at once and won um, so it, it, Revenge of the Sith You you know he's the bad guy you know he's a villain but there's nothing overly intimidating about him because he's a puppet,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you you know, it's revealed through the course of the movie whose hand is operating this puppet. But he is a puppet, so he's not. He doesn't get the the kind of entrance that we get in a lot of the other movies because he's not the real bad guy,
0: right? So, yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, I mean, in a way, but, all the villains. And the prequels are just the puppets of Palpatine. Huh, puppets yes. of Palpatine. What a, be a great be a great band name? <laughs> and <laughs> tonight, opening for Figuring Down in the Model Nodes, we've got Puppets for Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but but to speak to the scene
1: directly, um, he is the sort of you know mustache twirling villain who walks in, you know, sort of rubbing his hands together. Um, hunched over a bit uh you know there's something wrong something off about him because he's coughing uh you and the music that's playing you definitely get the idea he's the villain and he's in charge of this ship um he's not overly intimidating but he is villainous and he's slimy um and and crafty but he's not necessarily overly intimidating. I mean again he reminds me of like a like a, a scavenging bird, like a vulture or a crow or something like that. The way he he walks and and you know is hunched over. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Um great well let's go into Attack of the Clones with the introduction of Count Dooku. Again, um a very different kind of intro scene for a villain. But it's yeah. perfect for this film and for who Dooku is specifically in this film. You know, uh, it's it's basically Obi Wan finally cracking the case, right? Attack of the Clones. Um, the plot for Obi Wan is Detective Kenobi, um, and he finally, you know, he finally gets to the to the trail's end here on Geonosis and overhears these meetings between Dooku and Newt Gunray and then the rest of the the Separatist leaders here. And, uh, you know, we must convince the Commerce Guilds. I figured I'd open that up. And the
1: Corporate Alliance. uh wants not- the battle. Yeah, you know, to, to sign the treaty. These new battle droids will have the greatest army in the galaxy. You know, what Tambor talking there. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, and. I- what about the senator from Naboo? Is she dead yet? I'm not signing your treaty until I have her head on my desk. I'm a man of my
0: word, Viceroy, you know. <laughs> I didn't play the clip there, everyone. That was Jason. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have to. Um, but, you know, I mean, we learn quite a bit about Dooku in this op- these opening scenes here with him where, first off, we will f- yes, the big reveal is that he is the mastermind behind everything that's been driving the plot so far. Specifically, according, you know, towards the ass- assassination of Padme, he's doing this simply to appease Gunray. So Dooku's behind that. So that's revealed. Which says something about him. You know, Padme was right at the beginning of the film. You know, I think it was Count Dooku. He's a political idealist, not a murderer. Not a murderer. You know, my lady, Count Dooku was once a Jedi Knight. He couldn't
1: assassinate anyone. It's not in his character.
0: Shut up, Windu. You're the worst. (laughs) Windu's going to be going out the window very soon. Thank the Force. Um, Oh, burn. um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, so... That reveals something pretty telling about the kind of person Dooku is now. He has no qualms about ordering the assassination of a young senator. Um, But then you see him sitting with these other... And again, this is a very different kind of villain, which I appreciate. You see him sitting with these other, you know, separatist leaders. But he's the charismatic one. He's the one who's bringing everyone together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then making their plans known by saying, you know, when their battle droids are combined with yours... There shall be a armor greater than any in the galaxy. The Jedi will, you know, uh, The Jedi will be overwhelmed. And, yes, and the Republic will uh, will answer
1: any of our demands.
0: Right. So, so you've got Duku, as far as we can tell, masterminding everything. Now, Grand, yes, at the end of the movie, we know it's actually Sidious, but at this point, Duku's at least the figurehead of all of these mysterious actions. Um, And it just, in a way, shows the uh, charismatic leadership of a guy like Dooku. Now, you could never see Darth Vader sitting at a table like that. He'd just be force choking everyone and making them do it. Dooku has a different tactic. He's good at talking. He even refers to them, my friends, right? Like, there's something very manipulative yet endearing about his character. Um, He's a very different kind of villain, and I like it. Yeah. Well, and... And you're sort of supposed
1: to be kind of questioning if he really is a villain or if he's just a true believer, right? Initially, yes. Um, and obviously, as the movie continues to go on, you realize no, he is the bad guy. He's a Sith, you know. Um, but initially, you're supposed to be, you know, going, well, he was a Jedi. Uh, has he just does he just have a completely different ideology when it comes to the political makeup of the the, the galaxy at this point? Um, what is his deal? And you're supposed to be wondering, is he really that bad? You know? Um, and so he he's he's still mysterious. While you get this introduction, you're left after this scene still questioning what is he really trying to do? You know, what is his place in all of this really? Um and And it takes, you know, more stuff going on in the movie to to really begin to understand that, you know, beginning with the the final line of his interview, essentially, with Obi-Wan. It may be difficult to secure your release. (laughs) Um, And and you're like, okay, okay, he's not as nice as he likes to pretend he is. Um, But you're right, he is charismatic. And I think, you know, he serves Palpatine's goals a lot better. In this regard, than Maul ever would have, um, as far as being someone to bring together all these different factions to create the separatists. But um, it's a it's a really interesting entrance because you don't get a good look at him, you know, a, a good long look at him um, in any of the shots for this. Uh, which also is to sort of like keep you a bit off balance as to. What is he really doing? What is he really up to? Um, And It's a really interesting way to introduce your villain. They've talked a lot about him. He's been mentioned several times in the movie so far. You're finally getting to see the man, but you still don't get a clear picture, either visually or in terms of motivation.
0: Yeah. Well, let's hit our last villain, which is, (laughs) of course, Mr. Maul. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Maul. Um which I know. Is anything like Mr. Mom? Um <laughs> yeah. I know Katie's just you know, her heart's <laughs> fluttering just at the mention of Darth Maul's name. Um Yes. But Darth Maul has a great little intro. I mean, and it's 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 the shortest intro of, of the villains, I would say so far, if yeah, definitely. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yes, you could argue Darth Sidious's hologram right at the beginning of Final Menace is the re- the reveal of the villain, but in the way Darth Maul's the the real kind of action villain of the film, yes. and I think that's what that's what I was keen in on here. Yeah, but it's great you've got you know in this scene you've got the you know Newt Gunray admitting that the the, the Queen has escaped. I'm not really sure what else they can do about that. So Sidious reveals his hidden weapon, you know his uh, his hidden gem, which is Darth Maul, and he steps forward into the hologram looking like the devil, right? right? He doesn't have to say or do anything. Um, and sadly, like I will say, I, I still think that there were some missed opportunities with how they could have used Maul a bit more in Phantom Menace just because he's such, he looks so great. You want him to do more, but, you know, sadly he doesn't get to do too much. But even this, you know, the, you, so like even just com- comparing this to like Grievous's entrance, you know, in Revenge of the Sith, Grievous is, he's fine. He's there. You know, he's the villain. He doesn't do much, doesn't say much, but he does and says more than Maul. All Maul does is show up and fold his arms, right? Cross his arms in front of him. But just (laughs) the way he looks and even the way Sidious kind of refers to him, not to mention the music. um, It's very clear that this guy is scary. I mean, he looks like the devil, (laughs) you know, so. Right. Um and now you have this phantom menace coming to light, right? The 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 true horror of the galaxy hasn't even materialized yet. Um it's it's been hiding in the shadows, but here it steps forward. Well, it's everything that comes out of nightmares.
1: Yeah. It's this tattooed, horned, devil looking creature. Um these horny headed men. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Thank you, Hondo Naga, These horny-headed men, Um, but he's he is you know an epitome you know an epitome of the the Western image of the devil in in the way he looks. He's terrifying uh, to look at. Um, He's not overly tall, obviously. He's a short man um, by comparison, but. He's intimidating nonetheless because of the way he carries himself and the way that he looks. Um, and he just – I love how he just steps into view uh, of the, the hologram and you, you get the music. You know, bam, 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 Here you go. You know. I'll give it to you. I'll but, give it to you.
0: It's impossible to locate the ship. It's out of our range. Not full of Sith. <sighs> This is my apprentice, Garth Moore. We will find your lost ship. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them.
1: (laughs) We should not have made this bargain. Um, (laughs) Oh my gosh. It it is a great introduction though um, because it – it is, you know, intimidating, and you're like, oh, so, so this mastermind has a weapon. He has an agent. He has an assassin or, or whatever you want to call it, um, and he is he, – he's the hunting dog for Palpatine, and he's now going to be picking up the trail of our heroes and is going to be tracking them down, um, and and, he, yes. and he just looks deadly. Um, and it's a great entrance. Um, obviously, the most impressive entrance for Maul is his entrance onto the the battlefield of, uh, during the Battle of Naboo when the doors open. But this is pretty good nonetheless. So, yeah, it's it's good.
0: <laughs> um, there we have it. Yes, there it is. Um, so yeah, you know it. As always, you know, feel free to share your thoughts about some of these these intros of the villains. You know, if if there's anything you were thinking about while we talked about these particular moments, certainly feel free to share your thoughts. Um, And uh, you know, so next week will obviously be the last episode of the month, which means Katie will be Katie will be joining us as as a regular co-host. As we said, she'll be at the end on every episode and. The episode next week, I am quite excited about I'm not going to say anything more than it's just good. And I love that Katie was like, why don't we do this? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are the perfect person to ask to be on this show. <laughs> um, so
1: You're going you're gonna to find out exactly what Carl is talking about next week. Um, and, and you'll be like, well, duh. Why didn't they do that earlier? Um,
0: <laughs> we just needed Katie. I guess. To give yeah. Go ahead. Um, now... As I said, there's, there's a, a poll for, uh, for next week's episode, and this is going back to a poll we were running for a while, and obviously we stepped away from it for quite a while. I don't think we've done it since before Solo, so that was a couple months ago. But we were going through the movies asking you for your favorite musical moments, and we were working sequentially through them, and we've gotten up through Return of the Jedi. So that leaves us with Force Awakens, I believe, Am I wrong? Yes. Yeah. No, you are. You, you are, are correct.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yes, and when we talk about favorite musical moments, we're not necessarily looking for a track on the soundtrack. We're looking exactly. for a moment in the film where the music stands out to you in a way that just gets you pumped, gets you emotional, whatever. Favorite musical moments. Um, and so we're going to go to uh, Force Awakens here. Um For next week. So be thinking about that. And Carl, if they want to weigh in on the poll or any of their thoughts on the episode or anything else, where can they do that?
0: Well, I'm going to switch the order up here and start with Twitter because we're using that a lot more lately. So definitely uh, be sure to follow us and, and stay active with us on our Twitter at WampasLair. Um, you can find us on Facebook at Lair Podcast. Um, send us an email at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com. And of course, if you want to support the show on our Patreon, head over to Patreon.com slash Podcast.
1: Yes. And uh, be sure to hit up at Pohot Dameron on Twitter for uh, Katie's Twitter account if you want to interact with her as well got anything else carl before we wrap this up no (laughs) no (laughs) (laughs) all right well thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the wampas lair podcast this has been episode number 293 hello villains for carl i'm jason and we will see you next time here in the wampas lair (laughs)